The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not contain or constitute and should not be interpreted as any form of medical advice or opinion. You should always seek the advice of your healthcare provider about any questions or concerns that you may have. Hello everyone, my name is Juliana Egin. I'm the host of the Unfiltered podcast and a co-founder of Unfiltered. Today I'm interviewing Stephanie Newberg. She's a licensed psychotherapist working with individuals, couples and families. She has been in practice for more than 25 years, specializing in family and couples therapy, bullying, grief and loss, parenting support and the implications of divorce on children and families. In addition, Stephanie is a trained family and divorce mediator, co-parent counselor and has received intensive training in sand tray play therapy for adolescents and children. Welcome back to our series on co-parenting with the narcissist. After unpacking the challenges in the previous episodes with Stephanie Newberg, today we are focusing on concrete solutions to safeguard yourself and your children. Let's get started. Hi Stephanie Newberg, it's so nice to uh, it's so nice to have you back here again. Yes, thank you so much for having me again. It's been such a pleasure to be on this podcast and I really enjoy talking to you about these very difficult and important topics that we've been discussing over the course of the last couple of podcasts. Yeah, yeah, I'm and I'm excited really about today because we are going to focus on solution like we have been talking about kind of how what are all the challenges and difficulties that we might uh, face when we are co-parenting with the person who has narcissistic traits so today we're going to focus on how to cope with this situation so the first question that we have is how can someone co-parenting with the narcissist protect themselves and their children from the narcissist's irresponsibility yeah, so what can happen is is that uh, narcissists can be very scattered. They can be they can be unfocused at times. They can have trouble realizing that it's important for them to follow through. They might um, they might prioritize other things over something they've already promised you or told you to. So it's really important that you have things documented, that you have things in writing, that you have things in very clear, concise, non emotional. Um, means, you know, not emotionally written in, in either an email form. Sometimes you can use an app. Our Family Wizard and Parenting App are two really common um, apps that people use to really have things very organized, very clear, very spelled out. You don't want it to just be a verbal agreement. It's really important that you actually have something that you both have agreed to in writing together. Again, that can be through an email, through a co-parenting app. It can be through a text, but you want to always be able to go back to that person and not just say, oh, you had told me when we spoke last time you would do this, or you would pick our child up, or you would attend this meeting, or you would sign up for this event for us, or you would pay for this activity. You want it all always in writing. That way there's no room for distortion. There's no room for somebody to change their mind or be dishonest or omit something that they had already agreed to. There's accountability there. That accountability can either be then shown if needed, if it does get to a bad place, it can be it can be given to a lawyer, it can be given to the legal system as a trail of agreements and a, and a trail of getting there in, you know, getting there, um, being on board with something and agreeing to something and asking, saying that they will follow through with something, or it could go to a mental health professional, whether it be a co-parenting counselor or a family therapist 
or you know just a uh, you know a mental health professional who's helping the family. It shows who's actually what has actually been said. There's a way to really trace it. There's a way to follow the thread. There's a way to hold that person accountable, and it puts them in a position that they realize this over time that they will be forced to be careful in what they promise and what they say because they know that once it's in writing, it might be harder for them to get away with not following through and being irresponsible. Mm, yeah, that's a really great and practical tip. How do you, you know, this is very like frustrating emotionally to someone who is going through co-parenting and uh, dealing with someone's irresponsibility. Do you like any tips kind of how to deal with the frustration and the emo the difficult emotions and, you know? Yeah. Well, it is. It's incredibly frustrating and exasper exacerbating and upsetting to feel like you put so much energy into creating an understanding, an agreement, something that you've promised for your children, something that's very important for them. I, you know, you want to though, you want to have your own outlet and space to vent and deal with your frustration and anger. You don't want to take it out on them. You don't want to lash out at them. You don't want to insult them you don't want to be the one who has you know taken the lower road and retaliated against them for it because narcissists that will create a deeper wound where they will be more unpredictable more nasty more lashing out more difficult they will dig their heels in they will feel incredibly offended and insulted in a way that they can't handle or manage and it will come out in even worse ways towards you so you have to do everything you can to contain those feelings and just respond to them in an even, calm, and just matter-of-fact, non-emotional way. And trying to always reframe things as, I just, I'm thinking about my child, I'm thinking about the future here, I'm thinking about the welfare of all of our emotions, and the best thing I can do is keep this neutral, keep this calm, keep this steady, don't participate in any name-calling, and telling them they're a liar and telling them they're irresponsible. Don't label them. Don't get involved in any kind of a power struggle because they will just engage and dig their heels in and make it worse and twist things around and make you feel more guilty and put you in a position now where you don't know. You Now you feel like you really don't have any options and you can't get them on board to agree to something. Or now the thing that you really needed for to happen for your child you won't be able to happen at all because you're now so in such an escalated conflict with this other co-parent. So you want to do everything you can to avoid that, you know, vent to friends, journal, go to your own therapist, um, talk to extended family members who love you and care about you and love your kids or your child and really want the best for you. Let them help you be that outlet so that this other person isn't your outlet because it's not going to ever get you to the place you think by engaging with them and continuing to counteract how they're acting is just going to keep it going. You want to, if you're the one who's capable of shifting the dynamic and getting it back on track or keeping it calm or keeping it steady, you want to just maintain that because this isn't a win or lose situation. It's about how do we just solve the problem so that my child or children can get the best of A, B, C, or whatever it is that you're working towards. Thank you so much. That was really, really helpful. Um, then, what do you think? How can someone co-parenting with a narcissist protect themselves and their child, children from the narcissist obsession with their public image? And what we mean by this is that 
you know, narcissistic people often prioritize their public image over the well-being of their co-parent or their children. So, yeah, uh, what are what is your advice? Well, my advice is to sort of play into that, actually, sometimes. And if if you know that that is something that is so important to them in a way that's unhealthy and out of, you know, proportion and doesn't feel right to you, that they are prioritizing how they look versus what they're really doing or how they are and how they come across to you, that maybe you can use that to your advantage because they don't want the community or the outward world to know what they're actually up to and how badly they're treating you and how nasty they can be and how unreliable and difficult they are to deal with. They want people to think of them as the person who's really easygoing and positive and is the better parent and is the better person. So you want to do things that will sort of maximize the chance of that in a way that will get your and your child's needs met in that way. So what I'm saying is, let's just say, let me give you an example. Let me say that, um, you know, you are dealing with a custody, a custody situation where you have wanted to change the custody schedule. You got that other co-parent on board and now they're not cooperating with having the child come. You, you can you know, move to their sort of weaknesses or to their, you know, insecurities by saying you don't want the lawyers, you don't want the court, you don't want the judges, you don't want people that we know to know that you have been, in, you know, a barrier or an obstacle to having this be done. Like, we, you don't want people to know that it's your fault or that you're the one who's holding it back. Like, you know, you can play into, so let's just make this happen smoothly or let's just have, why don't we just agree to this point? Because in that way, you know, you don't have to worry about other people seeing this from an outside point of view and possibly misinterpreting this or thinking badly of either of us. Like you, you can play into that a little bit to make it work for your advantage. Um, but I think you also have to work really hard on not being too focused and worried about how they are. You can't change them. Their image, their focus of image is a deep-rooted, difficult, insecure place that they're dealing with. It has nothing to do with you. And you don't have to take that on. You don't have to, you know, mimic that or worry about that. You stay true to who you are. Be the same person you've always been. Be genuine, authentic, a good friend, a good parent, a good child to your parents. And, you know, all of the all of the truth and all of the goodness that you can emanate will, first of all, make its way to your child from you, which will really help them to grow and develop in a healthy way. And it will it will come through regardless of how that other person is acting or what they're trying to do to you or what they're trying to accomplish. You can, if you focus truly on yourself and being the best you can be, that will, I'm telling you, even though it doesn't feel like it sometimes and it feels like maybe it's a long journey or you feel like you're at a disadvantage or they're doing things to make you look bad. If you stay true and stay on course and just do things the way you think is the right thing, regardless of how they're trying to interfere, it will pay off for you in the end. That's what I really want people to know. And if they're really focused on their outside image, again, like I said, use it to your advantage. Let them be worried about if they don't follow through with something or they don't show up, or if your child is going to get upset with them for something, that can maybe be used to help you kind of get what you really want for your child in certain agreements or in different issues with them. Mm, yeah, that, that's a great point. Thank you. Um, what do you think then? How can someone co-parenting with a narcissist protect themselves and their children from the power struggles and when, 
when we uh, talk about power struggles, what I mean here is that how do you protect yourself when the narcissist uh, has this need to be in control all of the time? Yeah, I mean, it's a really hard thing because power struggles are not going to get anywhere, any, any, anybody anywhere, as we know. And then the kids get looped in and brought into that power struggle. And it can really look like a child's resisting to go with a parent or doesn't want to be with the other parent or doesn't love the other parent as much or doesn't feel as comfortable staying with the other parent. So we really want to do everything we can without getting involved in those. Those Nobody wins. This is not a win-lose construct. This is about you know, gaining, gaining parenting time with your child or gaining ways that you can raise your child in the best and healthiest way so that they can be as protected from the conflict as possible. So I think you have to pick your battles, which is a very, you know, um, you know, easy thing to say, I appreciate, but you really have to weigh each and every time that you're getting into an argument with someone over something. How important is this? Is this really worth it? Is there a way we can meet in the middle more easily? How do we get this out of the frame of win-lose? How do we get this to a more medium and less polarized place? How do we come to something that we can both feel good about, not great about? Usually a compromise or a middle ground is something we both have to, you know, um, concede a little bit to, but can sometimes work. Or sometimes you can say to somebody, if you're really like, you know, you're really feeling like we can't get anywhere, we can't solve this problem, you can go to a co-parenting counselor a lot, they can help a lot with that. But also, you could say something like, okay, well, for the sake of this case, I will give in because it sounds so important to you. But the next time something like this happens, I'd like to make it be that then I can have the first you know, um, ability to make the choice about it, or I get the first decision, or I can take the first vacation, or I can have the next long weekend, or I can go to the next school event if we're not going to be able to go together. So doing what you can to be as present focused, as problem oriented, solving oriented as you can, and to feel, figure out what's a middle ground that maybe we both can be satisfied with, not thrilled with, because that's usually the best of deals, but where can we go in the middle here so that he doesn't get, or she doesn't get everything she wants and I don't get everything I want, but it's somewhere that we don't have to like stay on opposite ends and keep having a tug of war over because the only people that really suffer in all honesty are the kids who internalize and pick up on and carry with them an incredibly conflictual family dynamic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking uh, that, yeah, a very good point that we have to choose our battles wisely. Then I feel like when you said the point that, okay, yeah, that you could, for example, if you do come to a conclusion that, okay, well, this is not worth like fighting over that, then you, for example, say something like, okay, well, the next time um, I, I want to make sure that we do you know, uh, uh, in the in this way or whatever, that isn't it then really important that you follow through with that? Because unless it becomes a habit of you saying, okay, next time, next time, next time, and then if you never follow through with that, the person with narcissistic traits or just a toxic and difficult person is going to like, well, I, I mean, they anyways, they don't res usually respect anyone's boundaries, but like that just makes this, situation worse or is this even worth of kind of considering or like uh making sure that you you don't do such thing as where you always say okay next time next time next time or what what are your thoughts yeah yeah 
So yeah, thank you for clarifying that because it can become problematic if you do keep deferring it. However, what I recommend is, is that you put something in writing that you can get signed by either put in an email that you both agree to or that you can put in your you know file for your lawyer or for, um, for your legal process. And so you have something in writing or if you're working with a therapist or a co-parenting counselor, you have something in writing with them that says, I agree to this, but the next time A or B or C happens, then this is the way we've agreed it will happen going forward in a different way. But again, going back to that idea of documentation and putting things in writing is, is really key. It is a way to hold a boundary, hold accountability, and ensure that at least there's some trail here to suggest that, that there was a concession and the next time it was agreed that it could go a different way. And so you have, you know, something like that. Mm, okay, yeah, thank you. Um, then what do you think? How can someone co-parenting with a narcissist protect themselves and their children from inconsistent parenting? Well, I mean, it's something that you're going to have to um, really try to talk out and, and again, get in some kind of an agreement around and some kind of maybe in writing as well. But you sometimes can you know, sometimes you can insure it and sometimes you can insure it. But if you're, let's just go to an example of something that I think is um, something that a lot of people have concerns over nowadays for good reason, which is like screen time for a child. And so maybe together you have an ability to turn off Wi-Fi or you can control the phone time by being able to track the location. And if you said that this phone's going to be off or this child's going to be in the house at this time, you can both have access to seeing how it's going through, you know, the through the phone issues. Um, if there's that's going to be your best way, if there's like an outside mechanism that will help you both keep an eye on things so that you both can see what's going on and understand it and, um, you know, try to stay consistent with. If there's a way that you can track like a, a curfew that way. Or if there's a way to track, you know, you're only allowed to be out with friends to this number, this hour, you can see things in terms of location services where they are, and then at least you can try to stay on top of it with the other parent. Um, it's just going to require, um, you know, unfortunately, just more, more communication through writing to just say, let's get some of these things in place. And if you can't do that, if it's just not possible, you can't hold them accountable, they're not willing to do it, they're not willing to cooperate, then you're just going to have to work harder on your end to create a consistency that's within their consistency. So let's just say, now another whole um, topic as an example, is let's say bedtime. You're dealing with the fact that, you know, you really want this your child or children to be asleep by 8.30 or 9, and your co-parent says that they'll do that, but you know that they're not going to bed till 11. The only thing you can really do if you can't get them on board or they really won't cooperate and you've done all these things to try to give them suggestions and ways and help them understand the importance of that and they're still not willing to do it, then the only thing you can do is just make sure when they're with you, they go to bed at 8.30 or 9 and make sure that they're eating healthy meals and that they're getting their homework done in a timely manner and that they have a balance of screen time with you and that, you know, so that at least when you're with them, you can offset some of the stuff. Now it's, it is hard and that's upsetting and your child can be out of sorts and be really thrown off and really discombobulated if, they're, if their schedules and bedtimes are really different. But, you know, hopefully if you can stay at least on the consistency of what you believe is right, even if they're not willing to, the child as they get older will start to benefit and feel good about that consistency. And will then usually 
request and talk to the other parent about it. And a lot of times narcissistic partners can treat their old intimate partners very badly and very poorly, but they don't necessarily treat their children like that. And so there might be more ability for the child to say, you know, when I go to mom's, I go to sleep at nine o'clock and it really makes me feel better because I get more sleep there that way. You know, they'll have the ability and the voice over time to tell the other parent what they need or what works. And the parent might be more willing to work with it in that way. But if, you, if you've done everything you can, you've had communications, you've asked for requests, you've tried to be very unemotionally engaged with that person and asking them nicely and, you know, cooperatively to work with you and they're still not willing to, then you just have to work on your end to be as consistent and as on top of what you know to be helpful to the caretaking and well-being of your child. You also have to be open to, though, that just because you believe this is what's best doesn't mean that the other parent does or that child might just be doing just as well at the other parent's house regardless. Um, I mean, in general, we know that that's probably not always, you know, typical that the child will do well with completely different schedules and completely different households, but it is still possible because they get needs met from parents in different ways. But you, ultimately, at the end of the day, you might just have to focus on what you can do to do the consistent and on-target things for yourself. Mm, yeah yeah thank you that often um you know i mean i feel like we might engage in unnecessary amount of rumination if we really try to focus mostly on things that actually are outside of our control so that's why i think your advice was you know really really helpful okay good yeah uh then what do you think how can someone co-parenting with the narcissist protect themselves and their children from the negative impact on children that co-parenting with the narcissist creates well again um you know there's some similarities between all of these questions and all of these issues i mean you want to just be the parent that is in line with your values with what you believe is right how strongly you feel about doing things the way you want to raise them and you know by talking to them not about the other parent and not putting the other parent down and not saying negative things about the other parent but just teaching them things that you think are important helping them learn how to be respectful and follow rules and you know be accountable themselves and learn how to grow and develop and ask questions and be curious and, you know, enjoy, and be able to be happy and relaxed and involved in their world. I mean, all the things that are just important to you, you keep doing, you keep providing, you keep talking to them about, and it will override if they have a very protective and consistent and caring environment, it will override some of the things that that other parent's doing that's negative. As long as you have good communication and dialogue around healthy behaviors, making good choices, modeling, you know, exercise and healthy eating, modeling how to, you know, um, balance work and, and play, helping them, you know, understand the importance of doing their work and doing well in school. All of these things will carry through. Now, if it doesn't happen at the other parent's house, you'll have to, you know, occasionally write a message or send a text or send an email or give, you want to give very concrete solutions to to that other parent. Let me, you know, let me give you some examples to the other parent. This would be what I would say the person could say, let me give you some examples, mom or dad, about what's been working with Sally or Joe over the last couple of weeks. We've learned, I've learned that, you know, when they have two hours to get their homework done and then they can go outside and do something, or if they 
they have their activity after school and they get home at six, it's really helped them to have dinner first and then do their homework. Or we found that some of these are some of the things they're really enjoying that have been really making them feel good and that they're really getting a lot out of. Giving them very concrete things, not forcing them to do it with the other parent, not telling the other parent what to do, not making the other parent feel bad if they don't do it, but just giving concrete and clear suggestions about what works for the child and what doesn't work for the child is something that you could communicate to the other parent as well to see if that could still stay in place. But I think as long as you keep doing the right thing, that will really help. That child will feel that. They will be respectful of it. It will help them with their relationship with you. And as long as you also stay neutral and don't put down or be negative about the other parent, it'll also help them manage the difficulty of that other parent and not feel like they have to choose sides or worry about that other parent. They'll see that you're in control, you're strong, you have the be their best you know, um, needs on the top of your mind and that will carry through. And then they'll either be able to maybe be a little bit more assertive with the other parent and tell them what they need, or at least they can give you some ideas about what, the, what you want the other parent to know that's working for them. And then just know that your input and your place in their world will help them over time. I have seen this a lot. I've seen how it mediates the effects of it and it can be okay. I know it doesn't always feel that way and it might feel really frustrating and you, you worry a lot maybe about what could be happening, but most likely it mediates and remediates the other side. Mm, yeah, thank you. And do you think that especially when we are talking about people with narcissistic traits, that should be there something especially that we focus on when we are trying to um immediate those negative effects and help our 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 children and you know uh safeguard uh, i mean protect themselves from the negative impact of the co-parenting with the narcissist like like if we think about the person with narcissistic traits is there something that specifically comes to your mind that you know often might be really harmful for the child so you really need to focus on that yeah, you just really want to be as de-escalating as possible and as not insulting, not offensive, not calling the other person names, not putting down the narcissist, not being passive aggressive with them. You just want to show no, you don't want to engage with them. You want to stay neutral, calm, you know, just facts only. Don't at all try to engage with them and try to get into a, an argument like you brought up a power struggle. You're not going to win. It's going to escalate it. Then they're going to be more prickly, more difficult, more lashing out to you, and most likely bringing the child into this in some way. So you just don't want to let that narcissistic co-parent ever feel like they're getting to you. And if you have to sometimes say things to be more kind and gentle and just remediating, it can work. It's also really important, though, to set boundaries and make sure that that you have a boundary around yourself. So but in a way that's, again, very calm and straightforward. So you could say something like, thank you for, if the narcissistic co-parent reaches out to you and they've done it now like six times in one day, say, thank you for all of your messages. I am planning to respond. I have 24 hours to respond and I will get back to you about each and every one of your points by the end of the day tomorrow. So you're, you're not giving into it immediately. You're not responding to them the minute they want it from you, but you're acknowledging it and you're saying that you're happy to, to respond and let them know the information within 24 hours, which is almost what everybody recommends that you have, as long as it's not an emergency, 
and then say, you know, and then by the end, you know, and then the next day, make sure you just answer the questions directly, straightforwardly with literally no emotion or narrative. We don't want to give any feedback. We don't want to say you're difficult, you're impossible, you're bothering me, you're being, you know, terrible. We just want to stick with these are the questions you had. These are the answers. I will give you the answers. I can't always do it the minute you want them, but I will give you the information in a timely and appropriate way. That you're so that you're not acting disrespectful to them because as soon as they feel like they're not being respected or they're being put down or they're being you know um, engaged with in a negative way, that's going to really get their their whole sort of nervous system all activated and all of their insecurities and struggles and all the things they struggle with will then then be like completely lashed back out at you with. So again, the the theme here is is to try to keep things as calm as possible because. The kids are the ones who really struggle and suffer from the ongoing conflictual dynamic between the two of you. Mm, okay, thank you. That was really helpful. And uh, then I was thinking like when we think about people who have narcissistic traits or even narcissistic personality disorder, they are usually very emotionally unavailable people. Like they are not able to emotionally be available for the child. And we know that that can have you know negative negative impact on the child's development do you have some specific advice that when you know that okay like uh you know i know that my child's other parent is really someone who can't you know be there for my child in any meaningful way when it comes to being healthy emotional mirror do you have some advice and uh for like how you can then ensure that 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 the child has, you know, that everything is all right. And my other question is that, do you think that uh, for 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 a child to be okay, it's it's enough if there is at least one, um, you know, emotionally available uh, parent? Yeah. Yeah, no, I do think that it's okay if there's just one. I think we have seen enough research to suggest that the one parent can absolutely help overcome the deficits of the other one. Um, I think that, you know, it's important, again, that you provide as much emotional openness and caringness as you can provide, and that you also hopefully have other people in their life who can be there for them too in that way that they need. So whether it be extended family or family friends or their own friends or, you know, people in your world, in your community and your church and your synagogue and whatever you you know the places where you go that they have other places and people who can really be there for them in an emotionally open way in a way that their other parent can't um but you know usually even though that parent can't be emotionally available to them in that way they can provide a lot of other things regardless we have to remember that narcissists aren't necessarily bad parents they're bad partners they're bad you know generally bad spouses but they're not bad Parents sometimes they can offer their children a lot of maybe exciting adventures or access to experiences or sometimes they can pay for them to go on really fun trips or do fun activities or introduce them to really interesting people or talk to them about more superficial things that are important to know about you know whether it be world events or scientific facts or issues around the you know the business world or what's going on you know in lots of other parts of our world. So they they can sometimes provide some of the other things that parents 
not the emotional aspect of things, but other things that the child can derive things from. So if the so if the child's getting emotional needs met by the non-narcissistic parent and other people in their life, then they still can turn out okay. So it's important not to overly catastrophize or worry that your child will be forever, you know, and in a disadvantage because of that, because there's lots of ways children can still develop, grow and get a lot out of things when they have at least one parent who's not like that and other people who can also make up for the emotional component. And also looking towards the narcissistic parent is still possibly having things to, you know, be good there for their child that they can still, they can offer and um, fill out the rest of their world. Mm, yeah, that was a really great point as well. Thank you. And I was also thinking that um, I have heard a few times that because of the other parent being, uh, you know, very, very narcissistic, that sometimes you can see how um, maybe that your child also has some narcissistic traits that are not like age appropriate. Like, of course, narcissistic, uh, I mean, of course, like children have like naturally, like we could say that narcissistic tendencies, which is totally normal, but I'm talking about more like not age appropriated and and uh, you can like kind of see um, that there has been some impact from the narcissistic uh, co-parent and I mean the narcissistic other parent. So this might be like quite kind of scary also like because you are worried about your child and it might feel like you can't stop it. But do you have some advice for a situation like this? In in what exactly situation? Like you like the, if you notice that your child is uh, on their road of uh, is of, about of develop narcissistic traits. Yeah, like having those narcissistic traits. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like you said, first of all, children are just naturally more self-centered and more self-contained and self-absorbed. It's just the developmental way that we're that we develop that we are. A lot. It's a lot harder for us to really put ourselves in other people's places and to be as focused on other people as when we're younger. As we get older and get into our late teens, early twenties, that starts to shift. Hopefully, um, but if you do see traits that feel similar to your ex-spouses, you know, one of the things never to do is say, "Oh my God, you're acting like your father or mother." Oh no, you're acting like you're a narcissist. Oh no, you're acting really self-centered and selfish. I mean, that's not going to help. Try to work with it. Try to give suggestions and solutions and other ways of looking and thinking and acting so that you give them specific examples. So if they say, I just want to go to this restaurant, that's the only place I'll go. And I don't care if anybody else wants to go. That's where we're going. You can say something to them like, look, we don't act like this in this family. We cooperate. We make sure everybody is comfortable. We don't make a decision unilaterally. We don't just do our own thing. We make sure everybody else is in agreement and we have to try to find a, you know, a compromise if we can't all agree. Like give an explanation, give words, give other suggestions and ideas to the child about how to express something and how to deal with it. Don't just tell them that they're being difficult or tell them they're being selfish or tell them they're being self-centered. Give them other suggestions and strategies and ideas about a better and more you know, um, meaningful way to address these things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Thank you. Then what do you think? Uh, how can someone co-parenting with the narcissist protect themselves and their children from the financial abuse? 
Well, it's really important that parents do not talk to their kids about the, the, the exact money issues. Um, I had a case where the father was handing the child support check to the children to give to the mother, and that absolutely should not be happening. Um, I think you're going to have to, if the other, if the narcissist is bringing up, well, I pay your mom a lot of money and she needs to get it for you. And that's not really true. I mean, I think you just have to say things like mom and dad are working on this. We're trying to come to an agreement. We both, you know, want this for you. We both want the best for you. We're trying to work out the struggles we're having right now with money. We might have to put this on hold. It might be something that we can't get right now, but we're working behind the scenes to try to you know, figure out the best way to afford these things. Like, don't put the other person down again. Don't talk badly about them. Don't blame them. Don't tell the children any details of money. Money is loaded, as we know, with lots of emotional things. And it can really damage a relationship with the child with the other parent. And it can really scare and make a child very insecure about their world and what's happening and what's going on. Now, obviously, it's important that a child can't have everything they want. Money is never just something that's usually has, you know, that is unlimited. And we are constantly as adults having to make decisions about what to get and what not to get and what we can afford and what we can't. And especially in this day and age when things are a lot more expensive, some things are even harder to get nowadays. So it's it's a good life lessons. We can talk about the importance of saving and budgeting and spending things wisely and getting the value for our money. But we really should never, ever say anything in too much detail or too degrading about the other person and their money thing. That's something that parents and adults have to work out behind the scenes and share as little of the actual details as possible with the children around. Talk about it just more broadly or say things like, you know, right now we can't get that, but that could be something we could work on in the future getting, or maybe we could get something a little less expensive where, you know, we can't go on a fancy trip this year, but we can maybe do a day trip or we can go you know, away for a weekend, or we can drive somewhere, even though we can't fly somewhere. So, um, you know, you, you can talk in those terms, you can teach about money, you can teach about the lessons of saving and being careful with how you spend, but you should not get into the detail of what's actually happening behind the scenes with the money in the divorce or separation. Mm, yeah, thank you. Do you have any practical tips kind of how to deal with financial abuse? Like, uh, one tip that I have heard that um, is, you know, the other co-parent who is narcissistic and toxic always is late in child support around holidays because they know that, you know, you might need the money to for the presents. Uh -huh. So that, that could be one tip that I've heard that starts saving up those important days, like, um, you know, putting aside yeah. from the other month's child support so that you make sure that you have something. So I'm looking for tips like that, how to navigate, you know, financial abuse. Does anything come to your mind now? I put you on the spot, uh, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I think one of the things that's come up in examples I've worked with around this is around camp, summer camp, that children really want to go and are really looking forward to it. And the other parent isn't willing to um, agree or make a decision about it. So, you know, whether you start saving again, way in ahead of time, or you start to make choices about other things you don't do, helping the child see, you know what, it's really expensive. We might not be able to afford it, but if we can, what are things you'd be willing to not have for that sake? You know, the idea, like you said, of saving ahead of time, planning a little bit more, figuring out what a priority is. Is it really a priority? Maybe a child will then say, you know what, 
I'd rather do this, this, and this. And I don't mind as much if I don't get to go to camp next summer or, you know, um, I think it's about yeah being proactive, having other options, saving money ahead of time for things you know you really are going to want and need that are going to be really important to you. Um, I guess, sort of unfortunately, maybe it's you know getting yourself into a mindset or expecting that you might not have what you need because of how they handle the money with you and how they can act somewhat punishing or controlling with it. Like almost expecting it might not work out ahead of time, being proactive about that. Mm, okay. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Thank you so much. And yeah, I think today we uh, had some great questions. Do you have some uh, something like kind of wrap this up or, or you know, yeah, yeah. Do you have any final thoughts about all of these questions? Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, there are definitely consistent themes here that as we've talked about all these different examples, which is document, stay calm, stay neutral, don't say, don't add a narrative, don't engage, don't get your children involved, don't tell them any of the details that might sway them in each way, do everything you can to minimize the interactions with that other parent and minimize the conflict because the conflict is just going to escalate, get engaged, it's exactly what the narcissist wants. And then it gets used against you or your children are ultimately the ones who suffer. So all of those sort of points, I think, are what you want to take away from this. Mm. Yeah. Okay, great. Do you know any resources for people who are uh, going to difficult situations like these? Yeah. So um, there's this book that I like in particular, and um, this is... Um, called Overcoming the Alienation Crisis, 33 Co-Parenting Solutions by John Moran. And that is um, a book that has a lot of examples, a lot of ideas, a lot of options about how to handle these things, not just with the narcissist, but with very difficult co-parents in general. So it's kind of covers a lot of stuff. It gives you a lot of you know concrete tips and examples too, in addition to what I've shared that could also be helpful. Mm, okay. Also, really, I really like a book called The Co-Parenting Survival Guide by Zimmerman and Thayer. They also give lots of great practical advice and discussion around, you know, how to stay focused on the important things for yourself so that you can manage yourself and handle all the difficulty that comes with your ex-spouse and partner and then how to mitigate the effects on your child or children. Okay. Yeah, thank you for sharing those resources. Uh, yeah, I, I really want to thank again uh, you, Stephanie, for coming here and talk about these issues and uh, giving your advice and insight how how we can you know better deal with these difficult situations. So yeah, thank you so much and I appreciate you. Oh, thank you for having me again. I also just wanted to let everybody know that Myself and a colleague of mine named Dr. Elise November will be starting online support groups for people who are getting out of or who are currently involved with, in relationships or marriages with a narcissistic partner. And we are going to be offering an online support group. So the best way to find out about that is to go to my website, which is my name, Stephanie Newberg, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E. N-E-W-B-E-R-G dot com and you will see my 
my um, email link and you can email me about that and I can give you the information. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and share the episode with your friends and family. Have a wonderful rest of your day and see you in the next episode.